0: Hey, good afternoon, colleagues. Uh, Welcome to the uh, Laura Cesari Imagine Summit, one of my most favorite supply chain events of the year. I had really hoped to be able to attend in person, but I think we all know why we're doing this virtual. So uh, safety and health are are certainly most important, and uh, be sure to take care of yours and and your families. Big thanks to Laura for the invite. Thanks to Regina for organizing it. Uh, A lot of changes have happened, so uh, I think you've done a nice job of pulling this thing together. Um, I have no doubt we'll all get a lot of good out of it so b- before I jump into automation which I'm going to talk to you about how do you balance process automation how do you find the right balance I want to tell you a little story that I think is kind of interesting so there's this milkman who delivers milk to the village every day delivers milk kind of kind of a shy guy kind of kind of a little bit introverted but very honest man so you can imagine his surprise when he gets home and sees that he's got a summons for a court hearing and he's like what what happened so the day comes for the court court and he gets his best suit on you know brushes his hair and and heads off to court and he walks into the courtroom and he sees the baker sitting in the plaintiff chair and he's like huh whatever and then so he sits down in the defendant chair and the judge says uh plaintiff uh, baker what what is your complaint and the baker says well i've been buying milk from the this milkman for the last year and Every day I pay for a pound, but I've been measuring and I'm not really getting a pound of milk. So I want the money that he stole from me over the past year. So the judge looks at the milkman and says, how do you plead, milkman? And milkman says, not guilty. He said, well, do you think maybe your scale where you measure the milk could be off? And he said, "You, you know, Your Honor, I'm not a rich man. I'm not a real sophisticated man, but I do believe that the method that I use to measure my milk is satisfactory. So the judge goes on and he says, well, do you think maybe it's the stones that you're using for your counterbalance to to weigh your milk? And the milkman says, well, I don't don't use stones. And the judge is like, huh? He says, well, what what do you use? And he said, well, I use the pound of of bread that I buy from the baker every day. So uh, I think that's an interesting story as we talk about automation or we're past the days where we're using a pound of bread or some stones as our counterbalance on our scales. But. I think it still shows us that there are sometimes there's some simple ways to do some things that we don't need to make it as complicated as maybe maybe we think we might need to. Uh, I'm sure there's still some uh, bakers out there and know who your friends are and who your enemies are. So I like that little story. But so we think about automation and we think, OK, we've moved away from the loaf of bread. We've moved away from the stones. But where are we and how is automation affecting you and affecting your industry? So what I'm gonna talk to you about today is give you a little framework to help you and your organization understand how to balance the trade-offs and create real value for you and your organization. But before we do that, I thought I'd give you a little bit about me and a little bit about Bayer. I'm Jane Kaiser. I lead the Bayer Crop Science, North America Manufacturing for row crops. Row crops are corn, cotton, canola, and soybeans. So our job is to, to plant, grow, harvest, dry, shell, treat, package, seed for the farmer to plant the following year. So our, our supply chain is an, at a minimum of one year in advance of when it's actually going to be used. So, so that's why we got 30 some production plants, um, six, seven hundred thousand plus acres of fields that we plant every year. Bayer's an awesome company to work for and I'll tell you a little bit more about them in just a minute. But A little bit about me, I, I started my career as, a, as an accountant. I thought I was going to be an accountant, got my, my undergrad in accounting, my CPA, and then quickly I learned with Kimberly Clark, hey, I like this supply chain stuff over there. And uh, after about four or five years, I moved over into supply chain and been there ever since and uh, extremely uh, proud and honored to work in this uh, profession. Also, what am I most proud of? I'm most proud of my kids. I think a lot, most of us are. I mean, I have two grown sons. One's a, a forestry forester, one's an electrical engineer. But I think what I'm most proud of is they are just good, honest people. And I, I did it while I was working as a single mom and developing my career. So. Big, big thanks to my, my kids for helping me get to where I got to. Uh, lastly, I have a big a passion for working with people with disabilities. And what I'm going to tell you is, is that they are the forgotten faces. There are a lot of people in this world that have severe disabilities. And we think about COVID and me included, feel sorry for myself because I can't go to my local pub or whatever it is I want to do. These people have been locked in their buildings for the last 15 months. So my ask to you is my little plug is be sure to think about those people as we uh, think about how this pandemic has affected us. Now, and we can talk more about me and anybody that's got a good joke, be sure to to let me know virtually or the next time we meet. So let me talk to you a little bit about Bayer. Health for all and hunger for none. That is our mission. I mean, two of the most pressing challenges of our time, health and nutrition. I mean, it's just an incredible organization to work for. We're made up of three divisions, pharmaceutical, crop science, consumer health. And you can see from the numbers, we're a large, diverse organization operating in 87 countries, uh, 43 billion in net sales you know, 100,000 plus employees. But I think the biggest thing is is over 5 billion euros in R&D for health and hunger. Health for all, hunger for none. Pretty incredible. Pretty incredible organization and I think a very good uh, mission. Bayer's a a life science company. And yes, they are the Bayer Aspirin that you all have known for your entire life. 150 year history. Um, I can tell you that it's pronounced Bayer if you are speaking German. It's pronounced Bayer if you're speaking English. Um, our core competencies are in healthcare and ag. You know, We all know that the, the world's population is, is growing uh, and it's aging. So we gotta have adequate food supply to feed everybody. And we need improved medical care. As much as we talk about automation and all the things that we can do, we still got people starving and we still have people who cannot get proper medical care. I mean, how, how did we get here and what do we need to do? To do? That's what Bayer is all about. How do we improve the food supply? How do we make sure people get the proper health care that they need? The life expectancies are rising. Our R&D activities are focused on preventing, alleviating, and treating diseases and making sure we got a reliable, high-quality food, feed, and plant-based raw materials. We make sure we take care of our customers, first and foremost. We make sure we create value for our stockholders and our employees. And we also know we need to strengthen the earnings power of the company. Those are, that's, our, that's our goal at Bayer. We are 100% committed to operating sustainably and addressing our social and ethical responsibilities. That is talked about every day at Bayer. Our social and ethical responsibilities and doing things sustainably, and all of these things together go into our purpose. Make up our purpose of science for a better life. Great mission, right? Great purpose. You've heard it. I've heard it many times. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. So what our company is founded on is our life values of leadership, integrity flexibility and efficiency. We're firmly anchored in, in those uh values and they guide our daily work. So I think Bayer, you can see here from these two slides, Bayer's an awesome organization, very committed to doing making the world a better place. A great company to work for. I'm honored to be working with them. So now let's talk about the the real stuff, automation. So if you look at this slide, I thought before I got into some more than me, we we should all level set on the industrial revolutions. We we all have heard about them, but and you know, we all know different pieces of them. So I kind of let Wikipedia help me out here a little bit. You know, the first industrial revolution started in 1784. It was all about transitioning from hand production methods to machines through the use of steam power and water power. I'd like to say, did the first one really start in 1784 or was it way before then? I mean, you just think about the, the invention of the wheel. That was a re- revolution all on its own. But we're, we look at 1784 and on and So that's the first industrial revolution. Then we go to the second one. The second revolution was really the technological revolution. It's when the railroads came about, telegraph. How do you move people and ideas more quickly? And electricity. I mean, it was the invention of the light bulb, the telephone, the combustion engine, the electrification of everything. But it was also a period that was it was increased productivity for sure. But it was also a time of surging unemployment. Many of the factory workers didn't have the skills that they needed, and they were being replaced by machines. And what do I do now? And I don't know that we're that far off in Industry 4.0 from that point. We, got, we talk about we can't find people, yet there's people out there in unemployment. So do we have a mismatch there, similar to what they saw in the second revolution? And then you get another 50 years later, and you get to the digital revolution. So you know the time is cut in half when the digital revolution and, and uh, the, the digital revolution is really just a shift from mechanical and analog. to to digital electronics also deemed as the information age and then then we move on to the fourth revolution and some will tell you hey that's no different than continuation of industry 3.0 is it is it not I, I don't know I'm not here to argue whether it's a revolution or an evolution but I do know that it's the ongoing automation of traditional manufacturing and industrial practices using modern smart technology We got large-scale machine-to-machine communications, talking to each other. We got IoT. We got robotics. We got AI. We got nanotech. We got quantum computing. We got 5G. We got all sorts of things. But it's the way to improve communication and self-monitoring and production of smart machines that they can analyze themselves, right? We don't need human intervention anymore, similar to what we saw during the second evolution, revolution. But I do think that Industry 4.0, it's not just about inventing new technology and tools to improve manufacturing efficiency or supply chain efficiency. It's really about revolutionizing the way your business and your operation works and the way you grow. So the the rapid change, it's a way of life. It's here to stay. We can even see, even with the global pandemic, that rapid change is still continuing. It's even going faster, right? We, We all saw what was required just to be able to work from home, the technology we had to learn quickly. But I, I would like to argue and discuss a little bit about, is, is it going so fast and this is what's causing us our struggles? Where do I start? What do I do? How do I focus? How do I determine what's important? What should I chase and what should I not chase? So we're going to talk a little bit more about how you, how you determine which ones of these things do I go after. So interestingly enough, I mean, we all get, I don't know how many surveys a day, but it's uh, more than one, right? Uh, McKinsey Consulting did a survey asking respondents, how successful were they? with their transformations, just changing the way they work. And you can see from this chart that 72% of companies have not successfully adopted and scaled. And I can tell you at Bayer, if we happen to fill out that survey, we would be in that same boat. I I think we probably have projects in every one of these bars, right? We have some that have been very successful, some that have stalled in the pilot phase. But in general, I think we are no different at Bayer and we're struggling as well. And 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 why. and so I'm going to talk about how we kind of framed it up and how we're trying to do better there. As we think about automation and we think about where do we focus, I think this is a little bit of a, a setup slide. Is that this is a really important slide? I, I think a point. Even though technology has changed dramatically, the fundamentals of value creation and manufacturing and supply chain have not. And I think if you would do anything is keep this slide with you. This and a couple more I'm going to give you, but this is an important one. Make sure we don't lose. Sight of what adds value in our supply chain as we think about our automation and how we automate our processes. Procurement. Procurement is still a big one. Is I would argue, is procurement really getting the level of automation that they should be getting based on the value that they can deliver? I'm not so sure all the time. I mean, is a lot of data and we need to reduce our spend. And the best way to do it is have data to analyze to understand it. Are we really getting putting our automation efforts into procurement as much as maybe we could be? It's going to add a lot of value in your organization and is an area you can't forget. Maintenance and reliability. This one probably gets a little more attention, uh, but turning wrenches, uh, keeping sh- machines up, it's the heart of everything, right? You, you got to have you got to have your machines up and running. Uh, you don't need to have them down for maintenance. Why, why are they not reliable? We, got, we can never lose sight of that. Extremely important. I mean, it is our capacity, right? And we all know we have excess capacity laying around because oftentimes it's down when it shouldn't be an area that I think could use some more some more help with the automation process optimization kind of along the same lines where are my bottlenecks where's my downtime I think as we talk about supply planners here in a minute I think supply planning struggles with giving what providing what a manufacturing site would say is a good plan I get asked all the time well how do you know it's a good plan they are basing their data on the master data that they get if we don't provide them with a optimized process that they can predict and know it's gonna work the way it's supposed to work and where the bottlenecks are, you're never gonna get a good plan because they don't have the information that they need to provide that good plan. So I think process optimization, optimization is extremely important. It needs to be reliable, predictable, and it needs to be up when it's supposed to be up. Labor productivity, another area. I think the easiest thing to relate to in today's world on labor productivity is logistics. We talk about we don't have enough truck drivers. Do we not have enough truck drivers or we don't have enough people with the right skills to be a truck driver? Not enough warehouse workers. We talk about forklift safety and our labor and our forklift safety. We're using temporary. We're using contractors to drive forklifts. People get hurt. You know, one, one of the things that we, we used in one of our plants is we were having a lot of accidents in the warehouse. And what we're trying to do is use automation to help us understand the first way to eliminate forklift accidents is to get them off the forklift. And how do you do that? You find out how much time are they spending driving around doing nothing, looking for something, driving and going back and forth with an empty fork. Automation can help with that. And I think that's an area. Labor productivity is another area we could focus on. Definitely adds value. And then lastly, and not last but not least at all, is what I talked about a minute ago with supply chain planning. And what I'm going to say for supply chain planning, I won't repeat what I said, but is that. The tools that we have today, so those of you listening to this, whether it's a SAP or I'm not going to name anybody else but because I'll miss somebody, but the tools that we have for tactical planning and midterm planning are less than ideal. Is this an area that we're really paying enough attention to? Because if, without a good plan, you will never use your full capacity. You will always lose capacity because you're you're doing you're changing over too much or or you whatever you've got the wrong production in the wrong plant because you don't understand it. But APO, and this is my plug, APO is a it's a beast. It's difficult to use. And surely we can come up with something with the with the evolution of industry 4.0 better than what we have today for a tool for our planners. Maybe it's Excel. Maybe that's the answer. I don't think so, but maybe. So as we understand these values, what's separating leaders from followers? how do you make sure you're a resilient player that you stay in the game you don't get leapfrogged over you're still a a a leader in your industry so you look at this chart here and it's an interesting chart to me and i'm going to try to walk you through it it comes from harvard business school and you probably if you take the course you'll they'll do a much better job of explaining it to you than i'm going to but i'm going to tell you what it means to me and how i read it and i think it's a, a let's have a coffee and chat about it but the green line so we talk about sustaining and disruptive innovations the green line the green dotted line that's what your customer can absorb the blue line is sustaining the innovations you already have making the wheel a little smoother making the wheel a little wider making the wheel a little narrow whatever it might be the innovation you have but how do i improve on it the red line is t- disruptive right it's the uh, iphone the f- cell phone with your music on it the, the, dis- the disruptive things what, what, I would, what I would argue is, is that you, you, can't, you can't have that be the same group of people because if you try to introduce the red disruptive technology before it is ready, before the customer is ready to absorb it or before you're ready, you don't have the infrastructure to support it, it is going to fail because you're below that green line and you are not going to get it out, out of the ground and you're going to stall in pilot phase. And, and I would ask the question like, uh, let's think about wheels on luggage and a man on the moon. Which one changed your life more, a man on the moon or wheels on luggage? Me personally, wheels on luggage. But does that mean I shouldn't have put a man on the moon? No, it doesn't mean I shouldn't put a man on the moon because they probably learned some things that I don't know about. But maybe we're red and have reached now up to that. Maybe that's how we got the vaccine. I I don't know what they learned when they went to the moon, but I got to believe they learned some things that are now approaching to getting us onto the green line. So you can't not invest in disruptive technology, but you can't mix it with sustaining the innovations that you already have. So always make sure before you launch something that your customer is ready to absorb it. Uh, so I think I think that's an interesting interesting chart. Okay, now the meat of the what we're going to talk about here. That I think this I think you will find this valuable. And I'd like to thank my McKinsey friends McKinsey friends for uh, helping me with this uh, slide because I think it's a really good framework to use. And I think it's something you would all all be of value to keep it with you. Getting started with Industry 4.0 takes focus in six areas. And if you do these in a value driven way, you, it doesn't require any trade-offs between innovation and standardization. I think if you look up here, I don't know if you can see my cursor, but I, we've all seen the Venn diagram, right? Operating systems, management systems, and mindsets and behaviors. I like to call it mindsets, behaviors, and capabilities. You gotta have all three. And I'm just gonna just kind of walk you through how you think of each value driven way, each of the core areas that you need to focus on. Okay, so it, let's, let's take the first step, the management system, right? what are we trying to do at Bayer? i'll give you an example of what we would put in this in this first uh, first uh, value first core focus area we are trying to deliver the seed to our farmer customer in the most reliable timely and cost effective manner so we are very clear on it needs to be reliable it needs to be timely and it needs to be cost effective so those are the things we're focused on we can't get them to seed after planting time is over we got to get it to them on time he needs to know when it, he or she needs to know when it's going to come. And we need to do it at a price that we can still can deliver value to bear. So that's kind of our strategy, what we're, what we're focused on. And then we ask ourselves, okay, what tools are we using to deliver that? So if I, if I look at the tools, we're, if I look at advanced analytics, our example would be Virtual Factory. And what I would say about Virtual Factory is that none of us really get to operate in a green field anymore. We're all operating in a brown field. You got to understand what you got. And Virtual Factory can really help you. I mean, it's different than Digital Twin, right? Digital Twin is starting new and you're replicating exactly what the factory is doing at any minute in time. Virtual Factory sets up the uh, sets you up the framework of the master data that allows you to do a lot of what-if scenarios to find out where your bottlenecks are. What if I did? What if I, what would my bottlenecks be? So we rely on Virtual Factory a lot to help us do our what-ifs. And then if I look at automation, I mean, all kinds of, uh, process control, advanced process control stuff that we're working on. Um, I, I think autonomous vehicles is an example. Uh, robots, you can you can put a whole lot of stuff in there. I think you all know what those would be. Digitization. So we all have a manif- MES system, and that that's important to what we do. You know, we all have a historian, IP21, whatever we, you're using. How do you keep the data? How do you capture the data? Uh, you have to have some way. You're never going to get better unless you have a way to capture the data. And then lastly, I think the, the lean is our is our production system that we've had now, what, 20 plus years? If you go all the way back to Deming or however far Duran, or whoever you want to uh, give that uh, credit to. But it's changed and it's evolved. I think it's a, as much culture as it is uh, lean and value elimination, waste elimination. But it is it is the way. I am a big believer that the tiered accountability is the best way to communicate up and escal- and cascade down information. So if you haven't used a tiered accountability process yet, highly recommend it and that's a whole different conversation, but highly recommend it. It is the best way to communicate within your organization. And then problem solving using the A3 methodology can be a little bit cumbersome, but it's it's also really good. and it comes through lean and at, at Bayer, we call it one PSS. One product supply system is our words for it. That little bit about value levers and uh, wh- what you use to, to capture that value. And then the next area is really the the information technology, operational technology, the ITOT. It's key. It's it's an important lever you need to be working on. How do you, again, we all work in brownfields. How do you make sure you're ready to introduce and scale new technology? We we have a tool that we use called the plant readiness tool. And that plant readiness tool asks some simple questions. And, And I'm going to tell you, one of the biggest challenges that we've had with plant readiness is simple, maybe not simple but just bandwidth. Do we have the bandwidth to run the tools, the MES tools that we're putting in, the warehouse management system that we're putting in? That Do we have the tools to, to handle it? Because there's so much data going through that we found we did not have the bandwidth. So we would throw stuff out there that like a WMS system as an example, and the sites would get so frustrated because they just didn't simply have the bandwidth to do it. So th- th- there's a whole, I can send it to you at a different time, but that we have a lot of questions that we ask ourselves are our plants ready for all the IT and OT stuff we're sending their way? Can, can, we, really, can we really do it? And you got to have the infrastructure or you're going to stall in the, in, at the beginning. You'll, you'll never get out of the gate. So next, I, I would talk about organization enablers. You know, here, here's what I would say to you is that organization design, it's okay if it changes. You've got to have the right talent, the right people the right way to build capabilities, and also the right org design. And it doesn't need to be an org design that's been in place for the last 10 years. People are resilient. We, we learn people are resilient just with this pandemic. Don't be afraid to change your org design if that's what makes sense based on the, the IT and the OT stuff that you've put in, the, the, the value levers that you're using. If it makes sense to change the org, change it. People are going to, they're going to adopt. They're going to adapt and then and then also i would make sure make sure you got the right talent and i'm a believer in going out and finding new talent is not always the answer and m- many times it's not the answer train people educate them 99.9 of the people are open to learning new ideas learning new things if it's presented in the right way at, at Bayer, we use i mean we use our local universities washington university st louis university we use we use harvard we use imd we use Uh, our our local community colleges, where our production plants are. There's all kinds of people and resources that are available to help your team learn. And, you know, I remember back in the day, I'm not not the youngest chick in the room. And back in the day, it was 10% of your workforce, 10% of your time should be spent on training. I think today that number is probably bigger than that. I don't know if anybody's done any study, but I would argue your workforce has to have 20% of their time to learn new skills with the pace of change that we're seeing out there. So so remember, you, you got to keep people training, you got to keep, they're resilient, they'll make it through, just provide the opportunity to them. And and org design, don't be afraid to change it, they'll adjust. So then we talk about new ways of working. You know, we, we remember the day when you would have a, okay, we need a uh, pricing tool or whatever, whatever it is we need, our IT teams would go into a room and 18 months later or whatever the time would they come out and say, hey, how about this? Well, those days are gone right it's more agile methodology how do you check and adjust how do you constantly say hey i'm trying this does that work and sometimes that can can be your friend and it can be your enemy because we're trying to change things on the fly and when you're trying to change things are real production plants that can cause some angst and so whole another conversation on do you have pilot plans to try new things but i think certainly when you're developing new tools Agile methodology is the right way to go. But I would also say that while you're doing that, you need to understand. So it talks about governance. What is the problem you're trying to solve? And what does success look like? And how do I know if I've achieved success? What are my metrics? What am I measuring? Now, and what am I using to say these are the behaviors I want to want to recognize? And this is the this is this metric has to be at this number before it turns green. Okay, why is it not getting to that number? But I think that we don't ask ourselves enough, what is the problem we're trying to solve? We get hung up in technology. Hey, we got to put this technology in when we don't understand the value that it's going to bring to our organization. So make sure you know, how are you going to govern it? What does success look like? Uh, I think that those are, those are key, key questions. And then lastly, and uh, this is our mindsets, behaviors, and capabilities section. Uh, I'm going to be honest, this is one of the things I struggle the most with. I mean, I'm, I'm a numbers girl. I'm kind of like the numbers are there. Just just do it this way. I don't, I don't know what what the struggle is. Um, so this is an area that comes hard to me. But I can tell you over my my years, I have learned that change management people have earned. Their, it is a profession and they have they have earned their profession. It's it's a it's not an easy thing to do um, to get people to sometimes change. And I, I think that they'll change, as I talked about earlier, they'll change, but they need to know why and what and how, what is it you want me to do exactly? And maybe I pick it up differently than they pick it up. You have to make sure you got the time and you the resources to give people the time to make the change because they will make it. They just need to know what, you know, they needed to get it to in their own time, right? Uh, g- give them time and use those change management professionals to help you with that. They can help you much better with it than us carrying around a big stick and say, just do it. It, it will not be successful if you do that. And be sure that you know you use rewards and recognitions. We we all have those, right? How do you recognize the behavior and reward the behavior that you want to see? You know, don't make it a punitive, make it a positive. Recognize the behaviors you want to see and reward those. And then lastly, as we all we all know, this is communicate, communicate, communicate by email, by verbal, by text. Some people like. You know, whether it's your own boss, how do they prefer to t- communicate? Do they want a phone call? Do they want a text? Do they want a FaceTime? So many different ways to communicate in today's world. Use them all and uh, don't think you're over communicating. Nothing, nothing bad is going to come out over communicating. So I hope that what you're seeing here helps you understand, hey, this is a nice framework that can help me and my organization understand what do we want to go after? There's so much coming my way how do I make sure whatever I'm going after is adding value to our organization? And I can definitely tell you that we at Bear are struggling with the same thing. Um, we have a long list of, of things that we're working on. Uh, I'll kind of show you what our slide looks like. And if you're in like me, you see this slide, and you think, what, oh my gosh. It's just a myriad of innovative ideas. We are at the point too, where we're sorting these out and saying, hey, which one of these adds the most value? Which one of them solves a real problem or gives provides value to our customer or to our organization? And is our customer really ready to absorb it, or are they not quite ready yet? And is it maybe more of a disruptive that we need to keep it kind of on the down low until we're ready to scale it, or is it something that we we're way behind the curve on and we need to get going? But uh, I'm sure you got a chart similar to this and trying to figure it out. And what I'm going to tell you is think big, but start small. You got to focus on changes that have an impact in your business. And have a measurable outcome. I really believe if you do that, you will be able to continue to get more money to do the other things you want to do. But if it's not adding value, you're just gonna you're gonna almost stop your whole journey uh, because you you, you got to have some. So start think big, but start small. Make sure you're focusing on some things that are real problems and adding value in the beginning. So. Um, with that I think thanks for your time and thanks for listening to me virtually I think it would have been a lot better in in real life but I know we're getting back to that day one day soon and I would just say stay safe and stay healthy so again Laura Regina everybody involved thank you for the opportunity and thank you for the, the time today